Hey guys, it's your boy Yinks, and with me today, my co-host and my former coach, Joe Dennis. Well, today, our guest was a nationally ranked decathlete from 1994 to 2002. He participated in the Canadian Track and Field Nationals as a decathlete in 1994, from 1996 to 1998, 2000, and 2004. He was also a Canadian national bobsled team member from 1998 to 2001. Also, the best coach out of Barrie, and I was sad to say, the most underrated guy, most underrated coach in Canada by landslide, Joe Dennis. We're very, very happy to have you here, my co-host. We're going to break down your story. How are you doing, first of all? Oh, this is a exciting day to be on my own show. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure you probably liked that one where I said best coach out of Barrie or Barrie or the most underrated coach. Wow. So Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> you know, till today, I always talk about how much impact you've made in my life and, of course, in a lot of my friends, best friends' lives and nothing but great things from you. And so very excited to hear about your story and see how kids or anyone out there could just be inspired by whatever you went through as an athlete and as just as a person. So let's get started. My first question is from just you're a decathlete before, before, you know, just being a decathlete, you have to have some sort of a mindset to do that. As a kid, did you always like sports? What was your initial, when did sports ever become a thing? When did this all just happen? Oh, Yinka, for as, as long as I can remember, I've been an addict, an absolute <laughs> sports addict. And uh, although track and field, and, and later on, bobsleigh became sort of the sport that I uh, advanced the furthest in. Um, I really liked everything. Anything anything to do with competition, I would say, as a young age was, uh, was something that would really um, get my blood pressure going and get my adrenaline going. So, so um, yeah, sport's been at the core of my being for as, as long as I can remember. So sports has been your, the core of your being. And we both know that you're a son of immigrant parents. How did you happen to just make sports the core of your being? Because we all know as as I am an a, like a son of an immigrant parent, and they did not take it lightly. So I'm sure they probably did not take it lightly with you. So can you explain that and how that just went through with your parents? Yeah, very interesting, actually. What you said is true. My uh, my dad's from Hungary, but in Hungary, they sort of celebrate sports. Right. But my dad's not... Um, I wouldn't say he's, you know, too much into it. Both my parents, my mom's from the Philippines and, uh, and, uh, you know, again, liked playing sports to a, to a certain degree, but, um, uh, both of them are, are academians, right? So they valued, uh, what I did in school, how I performed in my school, in my classes was, was, uh, infinitely more important to them than anything I did on the, uh, on the athletic field. Um, I think, Growing up, my dad did get me into some organized sports. Maybe when I was like nine and 10, maybe is my first exposure to organized sports. And uh, like I said, I was an addict right from day one. Uh, I think their their goal for me was to to be a participant, to um, uh, to have some exposure to it, but never to really seek out anything to do with high performance. But, uh, gotcha. you know, yeah, I, I remember as a teenager, that's, all I could really think about. Gotcha. So 
give us a little glimpse into your high school days. What sports did you mostly play? What were you good at? I know you're kind of a jack of all trades back in high school. So just give us a little bit. What was your go-to sport? How was your high school experience as an athlete? Certainly um, lots of conflicting feelings at the time. I'm, I think I walk into high school. I'm maybe five, four, five, five. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, and, and I loved all sports. I, I, I played competitive hockey at the time, um, played baseball in the summertime. So I was, um, I was playing whatever sport was in season. Played right. some soccer, some com- a bit of you competitive soccer. soccer, a little bit of competitive soccer. Yes, wow. I'm sure to, I'm sure to school you. I would have schooled you. Uh, wow. Had, okay. Uh, had we ever got there, but uh, but um, yeah, I was just sort of rolling through the different seasons and uh, and enjoying whatever was uh, whatever sport was uh, was being played. Um, my high school career was um, not. I wouldn't say stellar. Uh, I certainly had some, had some really nice moments. Um, I walked into Nepean high school in Ottawa and within a a week or two cross country was being run. So I joined the cross country team. You did Um, not run cross country. Yeah, I did. I did. Look, if you looked at me, how big were you? (laughs) National bobsled team and cross country just don't seem to be going too well in the same sentence, but uh, it's a fact. Um, how much I, do you hate yourself? Oh, you know what? I, to be honest with me, with you, it was like, um, uh, great life lessons running cross country, obviously, uh, <laughs> great uh, life lessons. <laughs> I was not, uh, not built for it, but it taught me a lot about perseverance. Um, I'm sure I built a ton in, I built a ton of, uh, of, uh, you know, you know, I, I, certainly um uh instilled some work ethic in me like the coach i had paul ashworth instilled a work ethic in me and um and and i kind of got this uh opinion about sport that often what you put into it you'll get out of it right so so you know my walk away from grade nine cross country is you put in the work you generally get results and absolutely i I, I was like five four i'm not nearly as uh as um as big as i am now or as big as i was in my sort of the height right. of my career but um you know i, I did all right you know i right, think i was right. 15th in ottawa or, or whatnot in, in wow. cross country so so um survived and and certainly learned a lot about you know again commitment work ethic um it was good for me it was good for me to do so we are, well for those of you who don't know joe dennis is a big lover and of track and field I, I i think lover is an understatement he he he's a teacher he loves learning he loves i think he loves eat breathe sleeps track and field and i'm not even kidding because if let's say for whatever reason i just did not enjoy the sport at some point in time and i just wanted to rekindle my love back all i need to do is just get on a call with joe and we could talk track and field for hours honestly and he like that much he loves how did your passion for track and field start well that i thought that was very accurately said i'm a huge huge fan of that sport if you probably if i if i look back at my history of it i i 
really have no reason to be um, liking it to the degree that I do. Because um, <laughs> what I mean by that is, if you saw how how ordinary I was uh, at my at my introduction to the sport, um, see, usually people I I always found through my my dealings with people that if you're good at something, then you know, hey, you get motivated to train, you get motivated to uh, to do better, and, and you keep trying to push push to higher levels, right? right. Well, um, I'm sure you've heard the story, like sometime during your high school career, when I started out in grade nine, even grade ten, I was very, very mediocre. Um, you know, I. I don't think I progressed past the first meet, like the first meet of the qualification meet um, in grade nine. Right. In grade 10, I was lucky enough to, to be part of a good relay team that got me a little bit farther on in the qualification rounds. But, uh, um, you know, when we talk at school about, in high school about, you know, eventually getting to OFSA um, or a provincial championship, like that wasn't in my vocabulary at, in grade gotcha. nine and 10. So grade 11, I finally get a little bit of success. Not a tremendous amount, but, you know, I start to to qualify through the rounds. I dropped a four and a half or five seconds in my 400 time. Um, uh, at the same time, I was, I was playing some basketball, right? I think as a grade 11, I was one of the two or three kids that made the senior team as a, as a grade 11. And uh, my head coach for basketball is um the infamous dave smart who has gone on to coaching prowess like as a cis coach and and on our senior national team so what a taskmaster um what a conditioning guru uh for someone back in the late 80s um i i certainly think that part of my track success in grade 11 and 12 came as a result of the, the grueling workouts that uh, Dave put us through. So now you did end up, did you made it to Offsa at least once in your high I school? I did. Career. Yeah. And only once. Yeah. And only once late bloomer uh, got there in grade 13. I, I should have got there in grade 12 at a, a bit of a fall over uh, uh, the last, last hurdle uh-huh. barrier. Yeah. Otherwise Wait. I uh, probably would have got there in grade 12, but um Right. So, so it, it was my aim, yeah. So grade 13, was that because, well, because for people who don't know, in Ontario, there is something called grade 13, which is a victory lap. Typically what happens is either you failed or if you didn't fail, like someone like me, you graduated, but you wanted to come back really just to play sports. You have to take a couple of classes and you get a better chance in getting you down to the States. What was that like for you guys? Was that, it a compulsory oh. thing? Yeah, that was back then. That was commonplace. Everybody, 99% of people took grade 13. In fact, some people would take grade 14. And that was huh? your comeback. That was your comeback year for sports is that you would come Here back. You're I am not. So you... was, quite often people would do a grade 14. But no, I was there the regular number of years. I got five years of high school, like all my other friends. And uh, it wasn't until sort of like, oh, maybe about 10 or 11 years after I graduated yeah. that they that they eliminated Switched. grade 13. Yeah. Gotcha. So, no, I was there just a normal amount of time. Trust me, I thought about it because I had, <laughs> I, I was as a late bloomer right. when I'm experiencing success. Um, 
you know, later in my career or late in my right. high school career, trust me, I thought about it. Like I honestly had a, you know, a serious conversation with myself about this could be so much fun if I just came back Went and did back. one more year of sports. Right. But, right. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, probably my better sense took over and, um, I kind of went on to, uh, to bigger and better things. So you speaking of bigger and better things, what was the next phase? So you're going to college at this point, I'm guessing that you are not going down to the States. Probably that was maybe not a conversation or how was it back then with, was there, was it common for athletes to go down to the States? Like you hear nowadays? It probably wasn't as common as it is now, but, um, I did do some looking and my times warranted, you know, some low level, uh, low level, um, college opportunities. So gotcha. I was a, um, a school that probably called at my house. Uh, jeez, my dad got tired of talking to this guy, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was quite flattering at the beginning, but I had, uh, you know, two schools anyways, I would say one called Slippery Rock in Pennsylvania was a division two school uh-huh. that um, was interested in uh, in me potentially trying decathlon or at least uh, getting into hurdling, like right. being a combo hurdler, doing both the 110 and the 400 hurdles. Right. So that was uh, that was certainly an opportunity that I thought long and hard about, especially we drive down to Florida all the time. We pass by Slippery Rock. <laughs> almost every time we go and, and there's many many times that i think you, you think, know how would my life be different had i taken gosh. that risk yeah had i taken that risk and gone there right yeah then i'm a very big proponent or advocate for just taking the risk and just going you are. because you are life is too short and yeah you only live once or you only die once really so you just sure. gotta just take it and go yeah so you go to you pick MacMaster. How was your experience mm-hmm. at MacMaster, and how did the Cathon even come into play? Because at this point, you're a founder hurdler, which I couldn't just imagine that you're a founder hurdler. But yeah, how did the Cathon right. become a thing? Was it because of your body size, your build? Did you have interest in it? Were you decent at some throws or some like? And for people who don't know, the Cathon is ten events in two days, so it's, it's grueling. It's painful typically well the 1500 is the most painful one which is the last run but how did that become a thing and how was your experience at mcmaster university uh well i'll say okay to to uh to start off with the experience of mcmaster it certainly could have been better um it could have been better i could have been better mcmaster didn't have tremendous coaching um i think i started out uh i started out well, like I, I thought, I remember our f- first fall fall workouts were were really going well for me. I tested well in the beginning, and then uh, I um I just kind of tried to mix too many things together with my academics and the, and the social scene. Probably got in the way of training the way I should have, and and probably didn't get the best, the best out of myself, right? And. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very few bright spots in that first year i really don't know if i had the maturity to to handle it all at that time maybe yeah. grade 14 would have been a better thing for me i don't <laughs> i don't know but uh did did but, joe uh, turn up a little too much 
I'm sorry. Did you turn up a little too much your first year? Yeah, I, I probably could have been uh, a little bit more focused on on the things that were really important to me, and, and right. I kind of spread myself out a little bit too thin. Yeah, I really kind of trimmed back the social and 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 got got into my training, which was which was great for me. So, um, by my third year, um, by my third year, uh, our varsity club ha- hired a coach. His name is gotcha. Bruce Burton. Bruce Burton out of Oakville. I was running a club back then, and uh, and he came over and started giving us a bit of direction. And I would say he's the first guy who ever said. I said to him, you know what? Ever since I was thirteen, I want to do a decathlon. Like ever since I watched the '84 Olympics, I watched this guy from Great Britain named Daley Thompson, one of the best decathletes of all time, um, win Olympic gold medal. I watched it from start to finish. They crowned this guy the best all-around athlete, and that's what drew me to it. So that's wow. what drew me to the to the sport or to the event in the sport. Right. Um, I thought that was something that I would like that title of being best all around. Right. So, um, and you know what? And I was I felt like I was his stature. I kind of felt like I was his build. I am probably a little bit shorter than Daly, but uh, but uh, he, a guy like him gave me hope. He was kind of a shorter decathlete, and and uh, like I said, that was. Uh, certainly prompted me to to believe that there was a possibility I could I could compete in this. So uh wow. you know within within a maybe a I don't know six weeks of learning how to throw and high jump and get me pole over vault? a bar and yeah get me over a bar and pole vault. He he knew how to get things. He was a kind of a man who knew people and knew how to get things and I was signed up to do a a decathlon, a decathlon in uh, in Windsor. It just happened to be with our world junior representative at the time, <laughs> another member of our national team. So I was uh, so no big deal. Oh no, my gosh, I was well in over my head. Um, wow, what to a... do? Uh, yeah, to be a virgin in decathlon and to get <laughs> this is my pool of athletes that I'm competing against. But uh, you know, score. I was pathetic. Yeah, it was horrible. I was uh, never had done seven events with the implement weights and the implement heights. So, um, uh, yeah, embarrassing, embarrassing totals when I look at it now. <laughs> but you know what, Yinka? Like, honestly, I walked away from that event. And most people, if they scored like that, I'm sure they quit. Right. But, right. but I was so excited. Like, I was literally, like, I, I couldn't sleep probably for a few days after thinking you know what, I just can't wait to train to get better at, you know, these weaknesses, right? So the mind games aren't there, the, the, maybe the taunting and the, and the showboating isn't there. It's, it it really is a a community of, of athletes who care about each other and, and, and wish well on each other. And, uh, and I fit well, I, I like to think I fit well in that community. So. Absolutely. And right now in Canada, pretty much dominating it with the decathletes that we have with Damian Warner and Pierce just doing really great. This is just yeah. off topic, but I don't know if you saw no, the it's, results it's a, from Gutsy yeah. last week yeah. or just, was it last week? Just, just past weekend, actually. Past weekend, and yeah. these guys were freaking amazing. So <sighs> what did you think about the results? Uh, Damien, number four all time ever, like ever? Uh, five five points short of nine nine thousand of, uh, of nine thousand, and it's uh, crazy. If, if you want to talk about Damien's humble beginnings, I was actually there, so I was uh, still 
kind of hanging around. Like I competed well past my expiry date. I'd like to think that Inca and, uh, and yep. you know that because I used because to race he beat you. Me. And, yeah. I used to race you even when you were a senior in high school. Um, uh, so my last decathlon, last nationals I did was in 04, 2004. That had some nostalgia to it. I kind of hung around and did that one because it was 10 years since the time I went to my first one. And it right. was the Olympic trials, Olympic trials that year in Athens. Uh, but I don't know why, but um, three years later, I kind of had an itch. I kind of always had these itches to kind of compete because uh, I always felt like I still could. And, and um, because you really could. <laughs> well, in uh, 2007, sorry, 2007. So three years later, I, I went and did um, an indoor event. Right. And uh, indoor pentathlon. And lo and behold, the kid who's lined up with next to me in the hurdles, because that's the first event in the pen back then, is uh, a young high schooler named Damien <laughs> Warner. And uh, Damien Warner, I just want everybody to know, he threw down like a third, something ridiculous, like a 1332 or something like that. Um, a world record in decathlon in the hurdles this past weekend. Yeah. But uh, And in the 100, I, didn't he? Or... Oh, and no long jump was uh, long... another gotcha. decathlon world record. Yeah, but um, just for Inc., I'm not sure you know this, but I beat Damian Warner in his first ever hurdles race. I do know this, and uh, and I hold that against him. I remind him <laughs> about that constantly every time we we run into each other. We 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 cross paths still every now and then. So right. So it's fun because uh, you know both Tyler, my oldest son, and Josh, my my youngest son. You know, we'll sometimes be walking and Damien will be coming over and he'll go, you know, my, your dad beat me in hurdles. So it's always a, <laughs> we always have a fun, uh, fun exchange. But uh, yeah, great, great man, you know, 30 year old man now. But uh, what a great man and uh, and uh, a great representative for Canada, for sure. And and a great representative for the event. So Absolutely. So moving back on to you. So like you're trying this thing. Your first year is going pretty good. Like with in the ah, sport, I was going. Well, I should say pretty good. So, so yeah, I should so. say pretty good. Yes, it was actually really bad. But in the sense where you felt amazing, you wanted to get better. Yeah. So give us some of the glimpse of things that happened just a few years down the road. So uh, so I told you first decathlon. I'm twenty. I'm in my third year. I think I'm twenty two, twenty three when I kind right. of uh, when when this. Uh, you know, this man comes over to to coach us named Bruce Burton, and I join Athletics International out of Oakville. So he's my kind of link to competing in the Ontario club scene. Gotcha. Uh, he's the one who enters me in my first decathlon and my first provincials, which I, I think I came fifth at uh, that first provincials. You know, had, a again, a steady um, tick upwards, like got better from that uh, the, the first decathlon I ever did. Yeah, he's the guy who introduces me to this, to the indoor, to the indoor uh, scene. Indoor, yeah, sorry, to the club scene, right? Gotcha. So he's the guy who introduced me to the club scene. Where am I training? Like, wow, uh, on dirt roads. Ouch. I get to York. I live in Hamilton at the time, going to McMaster. So I get to go to York maybe once or I'd say twice a week. I would drive there. Um, I would train in, I would lift at Mac. We had a mezzanine, a 60-meter mezzanine that I would do some Speed. stuff out of. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty um, 
uh, I wouldn't say we had uh, first class training facilities. Move into 1994. 1994, they come out in the previous, I'm going to say previous November, said standards, 5,800. I scored 5,200 at the provincials the year before in my second right. ever decathlon, right? And uh, I mean, and again, I love this event. This is my new found passion, right? right? Despite the 1500. And I think I told you the stories of my first 1500, right? Like how much I <laughs> loathe the last event of the decathlon. And like, you know, I can't believe. about walking off the track. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, this is stories uh, not race. new to you. So I'm, I think I'm a thousand meters in. And I feel so bad. Like I literally don't think I've felt as bad ever in my life. Thousand meters out and, you know, there's six people doing this race. Right. Right. And uh, none of them are near me. Um, <laughs> one guy's a hundred meters behind me. Everybody else is another close to being done. I think I'm like, this is so bad. I hate this so much. And I remember thinking to myself, if I just walk out, walk off the track, there's an exit right there. I can go right to my car and just book it home. No one will even know the difference. And uh, I think the first two decathlons, my 1500 felt that way. I had those, I had those, uh, I had those feelings. All of a sudden, you know, I come out in my second full year of decathlon and uh, uh, our first decathlon, I remember is in, in Windsor. I'll never forget this. And uh, it was, I was rolling like one PB after the other. I think I PB'd in every single event on the first day. Wonderful, wonderful man. Like his name is Frank Bergen. I saw him. I introduced you to him when you were a high schooler. He was, when we did the snowball relays, he would run uh -huh. snowball relays. Okay. So Frank and I were, were, um, he was like my buddy. He was like my dad that meet kind of took right. me under his wing, taught me a, a whole ton about these little secrets or tricks of the trade and in, in decathlon. And I'm sure he was probably responsible for me to, get at least a hundred points that day just with all those little oh, wow all little tricks um i pb'd in every event i think except for the 1500 <laughs> so i mean my 15 was still good but um i made a lot of friends that weekend uh i was it was the most unbelievable two days for me because i'd never felt that on like in my life up to that point never ever been that on where everything that i i did kind of turned to gold for me right like it's still not a you know it's not a an olympic worthy performance but i mean i think i ended up with that you know coming out with 59 42 crushed the standard that i needed to you know right. again pbs in nine out of ten events yeah i was uh unbelievably you know, if I, if, if I wasn't already hooked on decathlon, that now was hooked hook. for life. Yeah. Now it's hooked for life. Cause now I'd gone from, you know, eh. like somebody who is horrible, someone who is, who, who people would question, why are, why you, are you doing, doing this? this to all of a sudden, wow, this guy makes nationals. Right. That's right. pretty cool. Right. So, wow. So, so you yeah. made, so you made your first nationals in 1994. This is your, yeah. This is your final year in college or your... Yeah, I finished. I just finished school. So you're yeah. just finishing school. So now mm -hmm. we transition to the next phase of your life. Decathlon, no school. So what are you doing? How are you surviving? Money? Because you can't get carded as an athlete, which is you can't be making money from track. 
which yeah you've made nationals so how what were you doing to figure things out moving on still a far away from getting carded as a right as an athlete in in track and field but um so nationals came around you know what i mean two days after completing that deck in uh in windsor i got a i got a plane ticket to victoria i was never so proud of my accomplishments like coach gives me free plane ticket i got you know, six days booked in a hotel in oh, Victoria. Wow. That's just um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was free. You know, I felt that like I really earned something, right? Uh, I'm going to my first nationals. And, um, and I remember th- those days couldn't come fast enough, right? right. Uh, training was a little bit harder because you're right. I, I lose the kind of the sense of the group of any kind of group from school now. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm living in Hamilton uh i'm just doing menial jobs like i'm not i'm kind of going from i don't know landscaping one day to window washing another day i was just kind of any way i could whatever whatever i could to to grab a few dollars right so this was after college and then so 94 yeah so 94 i finish up school right that summer is my first nationals right and then 95 february i'm on a plane to australia and uh and so how, i'm gonna go there to teachers for teachers college and how did you convince i guess okay i was gonna say how did you convince your parents that you're going to australia to do track but you use the Ooh. school well, I, yeah of course they just said i'm going there to <laughs> going there to do school that's that's uh that's so what i'm kids, there I for right I gotta, yeah i got a secure uh professional degree that i could uh i could use for employment and um and I'm like, I mean, I, Australia is good for track and field, right? Right. The facilities are great, but you know, once again, not where I'm living. So, uh, lo and behold, I'm, uh, I did, you know, before I went, I kind of tried to do some research. What do we, do we have facilities here? And yes, they said we have an unbelievable grass track and I'm like, grass track, what (laughs) am I going to do with this? But in parts of the world, you know, Great Britain, South Africa, Australia, Jamaica. New Zealand, gra- yeah, they run on grass. And I mean, like, I was, first of all, I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. Right. Well, I should give my head a shake because in 1992 and three, I'm running on, I'm running at minus 10 degrees, minus 20 degrees on right. gravel <laughs> roads and pavement. Dirt. <laughs> this is nothing. This is unbelievable. This is, this is beautiful. So, so I do, uh end up training on grass tracks and probably nothing better for my body than to run on that surface. They, first of all, they cut it like a golf green. So I'm not, it's ultra soft. Uh, it's like running on turf, but it's natural and, and just, um, feels good on the joints. Yeah. feels good on the joints. I got, I got wait. I got, I trained with this, a pro coach named Jimmy Gumbledon. So I really had kind of the sprints kind of covered the, my sprints, long sprints covered. And, um, and just working on that surface and working out the way he made me work out, I just right. got a ton better in my four, my one. Um, Hurdles? Yeah, well, eventually um, I had to find some better facilities, like some stuff where I could do some, some, my field, get some field events training in. So gotcha. I would go to Sydney. I live, by the so way, in you Wagga, Wagga Wagga. That's probably never heard of it, but no. uh, biggest inland city in uh, 
in uh, New South Wales and uh, really out in the sticks, right? Like um, literally I felt like I was in a time warp, probably <laughs> 30, 30 years behind the rest of the world. Wagga wagga. Uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit of a hick town in, in the, in the back country. But um, you know, I'd make my way into Sydney. Sydney's a big metropolitan city and uh, Homebush is the stadium I would go to where they held the 2000 Olympics. So, right. So I'm there, you know, five years, four and a half years before the Olympics and, you know, great track, a uh, great community of track and field people. And, uh, it didn't take me long to, to hook up with, with, uh, with a track club called, um, uh, Sakoni Sutherland. Okay. And, uh, and boom, I was on my way. I was competing every weekend, every other weekend. And, and, probably never enjoyed a club experience more than I did uh, when I was in Australia. So Saturday for sure. Absolutely. So, you know, this, this just gives me this because, you know, you felt like when you went to college, maybe you might've made the wrong decision in by mm -hmm. not going to slippery rock, but, or mm -hmm. maybe another college in the States. And now you finally took that risk. Do you think it was worth the risk going to Australia to train? Oh, it's one of the best risks I've taken. And and like you said before, like maybe it was being 18, 19 and not mature enough to to maybe take that leap be because, you know, there are days where I wish I did. Um, right. I, there's days I wish I did take that risk. But but certainly Australia was a bit of a risk, right? Like I'm right. going away. No, I'm not going to see my parents, my brother, um, any of my family for a year, right, if I'm going to take this leap. And uh, I don't know what I'm getting there in my sport. I'm kind of, I'm kind of thriving in this sport now. I'm, or at least I think I am. I I'm, like I'm doing better, right? I'm getting, I'm Absolutely. improving. I'm going to nationals, and and when I when I go to Wagga Wagga, you know, I'm rolling the dice in terms of facility, you know, people to train with, um, which by the way I had none, uh, like basically none, uh, but um, but. Yeah, ultimately was was one of the greatest experiences of my athletic life. Like I So for people listening, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's important that you really chase and follow after your dreams and honestly take the risk because at the end of the day as long as you're doing something that you feel like is what you should be doing and you're happy and comfortable with your choice that will far more like surpass anything else because you don't want to have regrets in life. Right. And you don't want to say, could I have done this or that? And like you said, you just took that move and it, there was some reality check that happened, but at least you enjoyed your time out in Australia. You could, you got to try out another continent, another country, just way out there and got to experience some life out there as well. So that would have, yep. I'm sure that was a great experience all in all. Unbelievable experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, really well said that if there's um, a great lesson I'm learning is I got to keep on doing this. I got to keep on right. taking risks. Um, and, and some of these risks are not without sacrifice. Right. So, right. So there uh, I'm, with all these risks, you're going to give up something to get something. Absolutely. Hopefully, right? So, so we know so. that you during this time, 
we also know that you are a bobsledder. Mm. How the heck did bobsled come into this picture? Where the heck did bobsled come from? What happened? Please explain to us how you became a Canadian national bobsledder. Oh, well, uh, so we were, so um just going to back up one little bit because uh yes because there's a little bit of a backstory to that so um we were just finishing up australia and uh and i have a monster decathlon i believe uh 96 or 96 january 96 i make a another 300 point jump um at the same point just like much like when i made my first nationals i had to go to 5800 i had to go to six i had to surpass 6200 in order to make a certain standard to go to the Olympic trials in Canada for like track and field Olympic trials, which was kind of my next goal. Right. So, so been in nationals, Olympic trials, a little bit higher standard. And, you know, I put together a monster decathlon in, uh, in Sydney, January, 2000, sorry, January, 1996 and, uh, made that standard. And, um, you know, and, added 300 points to my score and you start doing the math and the years. And I'm like, you know what? Down the road, Sydney in 2000, that could be my calling. Right. So track and field Olympics, this is a a dream as a kid to go in Olympic games. Um, You know, is this real? Is this possible? Cause, cause at that point I'm, I'm thinking it, I'm thinking this is what uh, this is in my future, you know, fast forward, 96, 97, 98, I finish um, the decathlon and uh, kind of a, a little bit of a pivotal point and another opportunity for risk. Um, I, might, I had a good national finish. Actually, this is how it went. I was sixth going to the 1500. I realized that I had no chance of catching fifth. Um, yeah, oh, I'd wow. have to run the world record in the 1500 to ever uh, to make fifth. So that wasn't happening. And we knew that, you were not going to do that. That was definitely not happening. So, you know, I wasn't as motivated to to run that 15. And I think maybe two people passed me and, and relegated me to eighth. Still, you know, credible finish. I had a good year. I had three scores over 6,000 that year. Um, and uh, a good ending to my season. Um, you know, I'm not making this great progress. I'm just inching ahead when I need to be making, you know, quantum leaps ahead. And if I want to ever achieve that goal of going to an Olympics, but when one door closes, another one opens and, um, absolutely. And, uh, uh, someone from Bobsley Canada, uh, contacts me and says, listen, uh, I know you just finished your track season, but you know, in one week we're having, uh, um, an ID camp, so an, uh, an identification camp, and uh, Bobsled Canada will do this every four years uh, post Olympics, post an Olympics, because right. they usually lose a, a significant portion of the national team after an Olympics. And right. uh, this is, you know, post '98, right? Big success in Bobsley Canada history, the first gold medal in somewhat some thirty odd years, and Pierre Luders and Dave McEachern take gold in the two men. So Bob's Canada's, you know, you hear a lot of them out in the news, at least if you're a, a fringe sport fan. And, um, so I remember the words where 
you know, you are doing all right in track and field. You are going to nationals. You've done that a few times. Right. But, uh, you know, maybe you'd have a chance to represent Canada if you brought your talents over to bobsleigh. And, uh, you know, I've heard all along, ever since I started, that you're a bit too short to do mm-hmm. the decathlon, and which is, which, you know, uh, which I don't think is uh, actually true. I mean, I'd argue that like it's uh, certainly it's it's a lot easier to be six one, six two, six three than it is to be five ten. Uh, right, but you're not that short. Like they might make yeah, it sound right. To be honest, but I mean, you know the you are also yeah, stucky though. So the levers so. aren't aren't working in my favor. But I mean, uh, he made a com- a compelling argument. He was like. You know, you're not really built for decathlon, but you might be really built for our sport. You might be perfectly designed for our sport. So I oh, go wow. to um, to Ottawa and uh, we have to test like various lifts, like a power clean and squat, front squat and uh, 30 meter and 60 meter runs. And 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 I I kill it like I think I might have won every one of the testing, every one of the physical tests. And, uh, you know, I think before I left, they said, Hey, we want you to go to Calgary. So, so you've passed stage one. And, um, and also, you know, just how easy was that success to come, right? Like all of a sudden I'm getting a free ticket to Calgary and, uh, (laughs) oh yeah, I'm married and I bought a house. And, uh, and, I'm, and oh, by the way, here's a ticket to Calgary. We want you to to uh, to compete for a national team spot. So, lots of complications in my life, and and really, the easy answer is just keep doing decathlon. You know, run this table out for a few years, and um, and 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 that would be the easy route, right? Yeah. Um. In fact, you know, again, how life has its uh, twists and turns. Had I gotten fifth. I would have, um, you'd have made a team been, Canada spot. Probably, I would have been right? a team Canada. Yeah. National B team. And they take you to Europe. I would have gotten a suit, a, uh, like a track suit, a tank top that says Canada on it. And that might've been good <laughs> enough for me. You know, that, that right. might've been it. That might've been, you know what? I made my national team. Um, it's not an Olympics, but, uh, but I don't know at the time that might've been good enough for me. So maybe not achieving that is what really helped me to make that next leap and to take that risk about risk. Going on, taking on the plane to, to Calgary. Right. So absolutely. I mean, lucky I had the blessings of my wife and I was about and to say, job. how did your wife think? Yeah, she was, uh, uh, I'd say she was very supportive, but a bit hesitant, not <laughs> knowing, not knowing what the heck, you know, you what was going on? What, where's this going? Right. Is right. this a weekend? Is this a weekend fun trip? <laughs> or you know how big a commitment is this going to be? So so neither neither of us really knew what was on the horizon at the time. But um, but uh, yeah, I made it out to Calgary. Uh, one of the coaches, Joey Kilburn, picks me up and says, "Hey, we're uh, glad to have you out. Testing's gonna you know be over the next few days, but tomorrow we want to get you down the hill." <laughs> and uh, I know you enjoy this story, but um, of course I. Because of how well I did at the testing camp, I was thinking that I was a really 
I must be one of the big time recruits, right? Like, <laughs> my head, I'd say one of the few times of my life, my head was getting a little bit swollen. And um, I get out to the hill the next day. Joey says, we're going to pick you up, take you to the hill, and we're going to get you down. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering why, you know, what's the, you know, the reason let's push this and, and, and get you down the hill first thing in the next morning. And, uh, and I'm like, all night I'm wondering, who am I going to go down with? Like, I'm a big time recruit. Am I going down with looters, like the Olympic gold medalist? Or am I going around with the second guy, second best guy in Canada? <laughs> so I asked Joey the next day, I go, uh, coach, like, um, who, who's, who's, who's my driver? Like, who am I going down with? And am I pushing? Where's my shoes? He's like, oh, buddy, don't worry. You don't need shoes. And you're just going to sit in. You're just going to sit, sit in. in. He didn't bring me to Calgary to sit in. Um, he goes, oh, yeah, just for your first time, sit in. And I'm like, who's my driver? And he goes, oh, his name is Kevin Graham. And I poured through, like, <laughs> what I could on the internet about Bobsley Canada and who their team members were. And I don't ever remember a guy named Kevin Graham. I go, oh, I'm not familiar with Kevin Graham. Joey, what uh, – what team was he on? What what was he a development team last year? He goes, no, no, he just started two weeks ago. <laughs> started what? Started two driving. He started driving two weeks ago. I'm Why like, would they would tell you this? Oh my gosh. I think I almost crapped my drawers. Um <laughs> the other reason I realized that he it was so important to get someone down the hill is because they've had a story came to me later, they had a number of really you know high profile athletes come and 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 they were just perfectly built for the sport right right so bobsleigh is track and field on ice except you're pushing in two man uh like a 400 pound sled right and uh 290 kilos is a 620 pounds is the four man sled so it's yeah it's you have to be strong and you have to be fast right right so they've had some perfectly built athletes who would who took one look at a sled going down. I remember they told me about a division one football player who's Canadian. They brought him out to camp. He took one look at a sled going down through the latter half of the course. And he said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. I'm out. And he, he booked it. He booked it. Thanks. No thanks. He's out. So So they got you in the sled. So I'm, I'm a little bit panicky that I'm going down with this guy, Kevin Graham, who's only had a handful of runs at the time. And we're sliding from the top. I don't know what to expect. So, uh, so he goes, um, and I think he hit every single wall. There's, he literally crunched like wall after wall after wall. I was punch drunk when I got out of there. I didn't know where I was. I just was praying for it to be over. And uh, I remember him tapping me on the head, telling me to pull the brakes, and <laughs> I didn't know I didn't even know my name. Um, that so I remember getting out of the sled, and it was all I could do not to puke in my helmet. That's wow. how motion sick. That's how motion sick I was after one minute of driving with poor Kevin Graham, and and he's a great guy, but just Kevin, you weren't a great driver when you first started. Ouch. Um went could not eat a bite for dinner or for lunch yanks i remember it was a morning training could eat a bite for lunch and uh 
And I remember I went home, I went back to my room, my dorm room, and I sat there all afternoon thinking, you know what? I'm so close to making, I'm so close to being, you know, to fulfilling a dream of being on a national team. And I didn't even push anybody down and I'm walking away. Like I felt that sick. I'm like, there's no possible way that I could do this sport if I feel this sick, you know, every time I, every time I do something. Right. So, I mean, I, I literally did some soul searching that afternoon. I probably three or four hours of, you know, maybe just tell them here, I'll refund you the ticket. I'll pay for my own ride home, but I'm out of here. But, um, something happened within those hours. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it at least one more try. And, uh, I'll go down tomorrow, give it at least one more try. If it's as bad as it is, and I'm feel like puking every single time I go, then I'll, then I'll, yeah. I'll graciously bow out. Yeah. Right. So I went down second run ever with Tom Samuel. He ended up being the second Canada driver and fantastic driver. And what a world of difference it was to go down with a pro. So, so, so had- I realized, yeah, I was, uh, I was much better. I knew kind of a little bit more of my way in the sled, how to handle myself and how to relax at certain points. Right. And, um, and, uh, I actually got to push that morning, which was, which was good. And, uh, first experience at that and, uh, said, you know what, man, I could stick this out. Wow. Um, yeah, my testing was good. I tested well. Um, and, uh, before camp broke, they said, Hey, we need you to drop everything and, you're in the world cup circuit in salt lake city next week or in two weeks wow so again like you know how many years is this where you're dreaming to even get to nationals and you know how many years of dreaming for to represent canada and track and field and it just came within what two months two months i go to my testing camp and you know by beginning of november they're asking me to slide in salt lake so wow so So, yeah what a Wow, what a transition, what a story that was, first of all. And <laughs> I could only imagine after your first run, all of this is happening so quickly. So what's your wife saying about this? Like, where is her head at? How are you convincing her that? Because this is not just you now making a decision. This is also your wife involved and work as well. So how are you convincing them that... I? I'm heading out to be a professional bobsledder at this point. Oh yeah. Well that was, so, I mean, I, I told you the offer was there. I, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't take it. So, and, and I'm actually quite comfortable with, with, with passing on that risk. Um, I did have a meeting with the, with the team manager and the coach and, and, and I said that, you know, we just, we, a, we just bought this house. Um, and, uh, my wife was pregnant. Right. And uh, so I had I had a lot of obstacles and I just started a new job. So I was teaching full time and uh, knew that there was the only way for me to um, to get a leave to go bobsledding for four, six months, five to six months was going to be, you know, I have to quit my job. Right. So so with a new house, couldn't do that. And so I asked for um, development team duty. So so I went and uh, competed on our development team right. that that winter, and still you know trained really hard for it. You know I was very motivated. Still did some track. 
uh, you know, it was a nice compliment. Right. And uh, and got to finally put on a national team uniform, I think, in February of that year. So I think we're February 1999, February 1999, I guess we would be. And uh, I got to slide in an America's Cup series in both two-man two men and four-man. So, nice. Yeah, so it was a great experience to, to get my first set of my first bit of racing done. You know, they were quite, I think they're happy with what I was able to do. You know, certainly, you know, made me feel good about, um, you know, pursuing that. Yeah, yeah, accomplishments, pursuing that sport. Uh, this that summer, a nine, in the 99 to 2000 year, uh, I came back out probably in better shape than I, I was when they first saw me. Uh, right away, they're like, listen, you know, we can't do development team with you. You're either, you're, you're either full Damn. World Cup or we're not, right? Right. And, um, you know, that kind of, that year kind of gave me time to organize my life so that right. I could, um, I could take the leave. I could, I had some, some, uh, tenure with my job so that I could take a leave of absence and really like fulfill a dream, right. Of, right. of, uh, competing at the highest level, competing for Canada at the highest level. So, uh, that, that October I got named to our national, like our, our, the Canadian World Cup squad. So right. there was, uh, I think, about 15 of us that got named to the uh, to, to the, the World, World Cup, Cup team. Uh-huh. Yeah, fairly big team. And um, probably never felt uh, better about the work that I put into something as I did at that moment. So right. going to that press conference and, and uh, getting my kit and, and getting named to the team, introduced to the media was uh kind of like a feeling that like i've arrived right right you know that Honestly. work that, all that yeah all that work that i put in has uh has, has paid off it's so. paid off except they're just yeah. in a very different sport than what you would have probably imagined so very true very true yeah. so do you still own any of your gear i know you see i have that. all my gear i have all my <laughs> gear yeah i don't how, uh, how special were how special was it for you to finally arrive, to finally have accomplished somewhat of, not somewhat, to finally have accomplished your dreams, honestly? Well, it was, it's a life's work, right? Up right. to that point, it's, uh, you know, I probably should have valued um, my academics more. There's probably a lot of things I probably should have valued um, more. More, my, my life was a bit skewed in in the in terms of my dedication to sport, but it is a passion. It's what I loved. It's, right. um, uh, and I made sacrifices in order to, to do it. Uh, so, you know, getting named to that national team, you know, attending that press conference, you know, being told, you know, you're sliding, you're pushing so-and-so, you're pushing Pat O'Donoghue, in uh, the first weekend two-man race, I had to win that job. Um, you know, all this work was, finally was uh, yeah, finally paying off, like I said. Yeah, so so I was, uh, I was proud of myself. Right. I, I, not, not, to, uh, not to shirk on that. I, I certainly was um, proud of what I've been able to, what I was able to do. Right. Uh, I, wow, what an eye opener! Like getting over there, getting over to Europe, 
and seeing the best guys in the world and the best guys in the world. Some of them, Yink are like my idols from track and field. Right? <laughs> like I'm seeing guys that I watch at world championships, um, a world champion in decathlon who's now sliding for Germany and I'm getting to meet all these guys. Right. So, right. So, uh, yeah, I'm seeing guys that have gone to Olympics, summer Olympics in track and field. Um, you know, some of these guys are, are my, are now becoming You're, my friends. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. Touching, inspiring story. All of this from track and field, you know, to going into bobsled at a very late age. Wow. Talk about late bloomer. Throughout all of this experience, you've had some highs. You've had, well, you've clearly seen you've experienced some highs. You've experienced some lows. What would you, what would you say would be your, would top the lowest point in your career in sports? Whoa. Wow. Lowest point of my career in sports. Sorry, I had to drop that one in there. Yeah, you did. Um, well, there, my low points. I was told in my first year woke up circuit in December that I was going to slide with Pierre Luters, the reigning Olympic champion over in the, in the two man. I was going to slide in his four man crew at right. the European champion, European championships in 2000. So this is uh right after the millennial, right? Like literally yeah. like 10 days. I think January 10th was the, was the day. And I was going to be on Looter's crew, which is fantastic honor, right? Right to be on the, you know, probably one of the best bobsledders ever in the world. And I'm going to get the chance to slide on this crew, and um, first of all, the most nerve wracking um, week of my life, like right. knowing that, you know what, if I mess up, like dang, I'm costing this guy potentially thousands of dollars. Um, because he he bobsleighs for a living like i have a i have a a job that i could go home to and i can go teach and still make my living this is this is this guy's life right like this is his job and i was worried about messing up um that week being part of his uh being part of his group right um we survive and uh the performance was was okay you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't wasn't bad. It was certainly one that I was glad that it was over, and 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 we performed well enough. Uh, we were tenth. Pierre typically does a bit better than that, but we had a a mostly a rookie crew, so right. you know it was understandable that we would be a, a few points, a few notches down. The very next week, um, Pierre's not having a very good year. All in all, his his crew is struggling. He's struggling. And um, we're in France at a place called La Plange, which is uh, one of the stops on the tour that year. And we're finishing up and the cameras are on and he laces into us with a verbal tirade with with many, many inappropriately, inappropriate words for for TV and, and telling us, me and two or three other guys, just how bad we are, how we don't deserve to be on the circuit. Ouch. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, we didn't say anything to, we didn't really say anything to him. We didn't know where this was coming from, but he was, he was frustrated with, with himself. Everything. He was frustrated with the season. 
and he was just looking for a person or two to lash out and i just happened to be you know in his path right so right so uh yeah certainly felt pretty low at that point pretty low at that point and um uh you know certainly wondered it made me question whether it was worth it because you know i i certainly didn't want to be taking that taking that kind of verbal abuse <clears throat> on a regular right. basis right and this is the teammate teammate that i have so so uh he's not going away so i know <laughs> that my path if i want to stay and compete at a national level you know hopefully you know get to an olympics still at that point was on my mind mm -hmm. that you know i'm gonna have to deal with this guy right, right? so so, so i would i'd say that's pretty that was kind of my lowest I'd say that's probably my lowest point athletically. Yeah, it's a yeah. So as we get closer to almost running this great conversation up, I last few questions I have for you is why do you go the extra mile for athletes? Like just like you did with myself, Ocean, the juniors. Like we had this crew of us and you literally do extra mile and you pretty much took us in like your kids, you take us, you literally drive us to York and go to train. You you just went extra mile. Why? Uh, it's an easy one. I didn't have really anybody growing up. I hope I don't mean to offend anybody. I didn't really have anybody <laughs> through my early years giving me any sort of direction. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I and I, I really I wasn't very I wasn't very good. So right. why would uh, why would somebody come out and and pull me out of a crowd and and really spend the time to work with me? So I didn't have a lot of direction, didn't have a lot of opportunity because of that. So for me, when my competing days were kind of winding down, I started coaching. I was still competing a little bit, but uh, uh, when I started coaching, um. I thought, you know what? I know my way around the sport. I know how to get opportunities. I know how to prepare people because right. I've now experienced and been through, you know, some of the, some of the, I've been through the wars and uh, what an advantage. Like I used to think often if I knew what I knew when I was, in my late twenties, right. What I knew when I was in high school, how much better I would have done. Right, absolutely. And so all I did was basically take that that idea and say, "Well, I, it's too late to do it to me, but um, this is certainly an opportunity for me to give back to a sport that I really like and to make a difference in in, in people's lives." Right. So. Right. So to show people what was possible to show people how, how to get better, mm -hmm. uh, became something that, that I was, uh, it, it kind of just the, the focus changed, right? So the Absolutely. focus eventually when, when I couldn't be the athlete that I wanted to be, uh, turned to, can I, can I help people be the athlete they want to be, or right. they could be right. And can I help them reach their potential certainly became kind of my next driving force and, 
and next passion. Gotcha. And then, wow, really deep. So to rounding this up, the typical question that we always ask, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self after all these experiences that you've had? Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been mentioned one or two times throughout, uh, throughout this show, and I would say the number one thing is take some risks. Absolutely. Like some of the greatest experiences that I that I that I hold dear to me came because I got out of my comfort zone and and took a big risk. So wow. the going to Australia, the the taking the trip out to Calgary. Right. To hang in Calgary for an extra <laughs> an extra day, day. You know, like um all of those would be, you know, significant risks. And, um, man, those risks, me falling through on those risks opened a lot of doors. Wow. So, yeah, they opened a lot of doors for myself athletically, but also it gave me a lot of room to grow. Like, hey, when you're taking those risks, those are uncomfortable, right? And that's what I'm talking about, getting out of the comfort zone and, uh, and putting yourself out there. And, and really challenging yourself. And, and I Absolutely. felt that in both those particular risks, I challenged myself uh, to a degree that I probably never did. The other great thing that I would tell, not my 18-year-old self, but I'd tell my 35-year-old self who was getting into coaching is uh, when I was 35, I kind of looked for, you know, these studs, right? So who's who's the next, you know, king of the sprints or who's the next greatest jumper. And, and I, I'd look for talent. I mean, as a coach, you're always kind of trying to spot some talent when you can. And right. Uh, what I learned in my ensuing years after I got into coaching was to never turn your back on anybody. Mm. So if somebody has if somebody has desire and will to do work, right. You know, regardless of where they are, where their 14 year old self is, then could be markedly different than what their 19 year old self finishes high school with. Right. And, uh, and so I remember saying to myself, I can never ever turn my back on the late, on the potential late bloomer. And we all could be that if we're not doing well, when we first start, we could be that we could be we could all be that late bloomer because I certainly was. Yeah. And and far too many people, you know, probably didn't think I know a bunch probably didn't think I'd amount or or experience the success that I did. Not that I experienced overwhelming success, but I certainly got a, a nice taste of things. Right. And uh, um. And a lot of people, I would say, probably that met me in high school would have never thought that that I'd get to uh, that level. So, you know, with that in mind, I remember starting starting coaching or, or getting into coaching a little bit more seriously and saying, I can't ever, based off of what I experienced as a, as a kid growing up, yeah. as a 20-somethings growing up, I can't ever turn my back on a kid who could be the potential next late bloomer. Wow. 
So impressive. So I remember, yeah, that's uh, that's something that I hold hold true. And and I mean, and hey, that that fits kind of you, yeah, uh, quite nicely because you know, grade nine was not a stellar year for you. We kind of mirrored ourselves athletically in in the early years, and and um, you know, certainly by grade eleven, look what happened to you by grade eleven. You right. certainly, you know, get into a national level meet, right? And in grade nine. You know, I would have never <laughs> not being that impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something I definitely hold on and why you're probably one of the most important men in my life, because for me, it was always why the heck are you still like there? Why the heck are you still supporting me? While I was never that good. So why while other people are telling me I was never going to make it to the States or anything, you were there supporting me on whatever crazy ideas that I might have had or said to you that, hey, I'm going to the States. And that was it. And no one was stopping me, period. And through all of it all, you were always there. So I really appreciate that. And I'm sure some other athletes as well probably appreciate your effort. And I know a lot of athletes definitely do not appreciate you as much as they probably should have just because they just didn't know what they were, you know, what they lacked. But it's their loss, if I'm being honest with you. I've always, the reason why I say you're the best coach and definitely the most underrated coach is because I've had other coaches elsewhere and no hate or anything. I just believe that you are the best coach for me personally and probably for some of my other teammates. And we could just say that based on, in Canada, we're training on gravel track and we were running pretty decent times from Barry. So, we all go down to the States or a couple of us went down to the States and we're not really running to our potential says something. And that's all I have to say. So to me, definitely the best coach ever and the most underrated coach. I appreciate everything that you've done for me personally. And this was honestly a great story. I hope that someone out there could take something out of this and this could inspire them to just push, persevere and just Go after what the heck they want to do and take that risk ultimately. Anything else you have to say before we end this one? No, I think you've summed it up quite nicely. That's, uh, that, um, you know, you are going to meet a lot of people that tell you you can't. And uh, you really do have to, you really do have to have some belief in yourself. Absolutely combined with you know that high level of perseverance and work ethic mm -hmm. and uh like i wore it i wore it like a badge that i loved when, when people told me i couldn't i really um i really enjoyed you know going out there and trying to prove them wrong right so so you know some people are motivated through different means and Absolutely. uh it didn't come up too much but but I certainly, I certainly did use that to my advantage and, and, uh, and tried to, uh, make other people's other people believers in myself in, in me as well. So, right. Wow. Very, very good guys. Like as you, as, as you could hear taking risk, it's in the risk that you take. That's where the growth actually happens. That's where it, it all happens. If you don't take a risk, you're just going to be comfortable and, like I always say, you only die once, Yodo. So guys, take that risk, honestly. Joe, this has been a really great episode. 
Well, Yinka, thank you very much for uh, for having me on and everybody out there listening. If you do have a friend out there who, if, if you know someone out there who also has a uh, an interesting story to tell, please do not hesitate to uh, to get a hold of us. You can see our contact information at the uh, at the bottom of the page. 